The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. All right, if you have your Bibles today, uh, go ahead and open those up or open the app up. Uh, I say that because usually I'm one of the guys that uses the app. Uh, but I've got a new Bible uh, from my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, which is my Honduras Bible, which I'm really excited about. Uh, today, uh, a, few, a couple of weeks ago, Eric talked to me about preaching this Sunday and asked if I would do it. And when he asked me, I was like, yeah, that's great. And I sounded very confident and very like, oh, yeah, I got this. I think I even said, let's go. You know, and I was excited. Uh, on the way home, I cried. Um, <laughs> because I was like, what did I just do? Like, um, called Alicia. I said, I just did the dumbest thing. Um, am I ready for this? Uh, and I, I remember feeling really good. And I went home and I really prayed about what God wanted me to share this, uh, share this week and just started going through some conversations. And I felt really good about what God had put in my heart and how I could do. And then as I told Alicia, and I, I even shared this with Eric a couple days ago, then I came to church last Sunday and Eric did another amazing message. And I thought, oh, geez, I got I to gotta follow this up. Like, uh, he just does such a good job. And I'm just so blessed by Eric and the, his heart for sharing the gospel. And it's just it really just made me just even go home and pray more about I just want I want that. I just want to share the truth, share what God has done, and share what the what the Bible says about who we are and who Christ says we are. Uh, so as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about a conversation that I had with some of my FCA students. I do FCA Bible study on Tuesday mornings and sometimes on other days of the week I'll meet before school with some of the students. And I was talking to some of them and I asked the question. Why, besides the fact that we know that it's God's word and it's the living word, I ask, why do you enjoy reading the Bible? What is it that makes you go back and read it again? And again, is there, is there a specific thing you can point to? And I remember talking to them, and, and as they answered, as the, I was talking about three students, and as they answered, I kept hearing the same answer over and over again. That the thing that they loved about the Bible and one of the things that made it powerful to them was the stories of redemption. And the stories of God redeeming people. And actually, my father-in-law has a whole message that's one of my favorite messages that he does. That's called, What Happens When Ordinary People Say Yes to an Extraordinary God. And that is what this Bible is complete, what the Bible is completely filled with, is stories of people who are ordinary people who made mistakes. But God called them, God shaped them into great warriors for him. We have people like David, who made a mistake. He actually slept with another man's wife. And then actually ordered to have that man killed. And he was described as a man after God's own heart. We have Saul who was persecuting Christians. And then God met him in the road and said, why are you persecuting my people? Then he became one of the greatest warriors. And and, and a big part of the Bible is contributed to that. And stories like that and just all throughout the Bible about redemption. And we see it all throughout. And as we were talking, I was thinking about one of my favorite stories growing up as a child. And one of my, actually, if you look at it better, redemption stories was in Jonah. It's the story of Jonah, which just happened to be amazing that Eric started the Jonah series. And we've been going through Jonah. And as I go through it, I look at it because Jonah, here was Jonah. He loved being, he loved being a prophet. He loved to go share messages with God. And he was in his head probably thinking at some point even, I would go anywhere and share your messages. Probably even made that statement out loud maybe. And stuff. So God challenged that. And said, okay, how about Nineveh? And, and Jonah was like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? 
you want me to go to Nineveh? And I try to think about in my life uh, where I, because I love to share and stuff, is there somewhere that God would send me that I'd be like, well, hold up. And the only place I could think of, and if I, I don't mean to offend anybody if you're from there, is I'm from Colorado, and every time I go to Colorado, I have to drive through the state of Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> and I really feel like Kansas is my Nineveh. <laughs> I, I really feel like if God called me to Kansas, I would go to Maine. <laughs> um, I don't know how that would work since there's not a lot of water. Uh, maybe a big bird would eat me and have to spit me out of Kansas. But uh, I would hopefully learn my lesson in quicker than three days, uh, like Jonah who sat there for three days still pouting uh, and want, didn't want to go. But I just feel like that just, just really stuck in my heart. Is there that place that I wouldn't go? And I just really prayed about that, and I really just want that in my heart and want that for that there is no place that we would go, and there is no people group that we wouldn't want to see come to know Christ. And if we could uh, put up the slides for Jonah 3. It says here, and I just want to see what happened. So we've heard the last two weeks that Jonah, you know, said, no, I don't want to go. He got swallowed up by the fish. Finally, he got to that point where he's like, okay, God, I get it. I'll go. I'll do it. And then the fish spits him out, right? So then it says here in Jonah 3, 1, 6, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, uh, call against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. Jo- Jonah began to get into the city, going a day's journey. And at that time he called out, yelled, 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So that's what he does. He goes to this great city and says, Hey, you're going to get overthrown. Everything. But look at the people's reaction. This is what I love when I talk about redemption stories, about what can happen when we say yes to God. Look at the reactions here. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. He didn't go there with a great, huge message. He didn't have a, a ten-part series of how Nineveh was going to be torn apart. He went there and declared what the Lord told him to declare, with the faith and boldness the Lord gave him. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Then I think there should be another slide. Is that, or is that it? Is that it for that one? Okay. I may have not gone far off. But in the next verse, it actually talks about how even the word got to the king of Nineveh, and he himself got off his throne, tore off his garments, and put on sackcloth. All the way up to the king, the people believed the message that God had sent. So here we are, Jonah, the reluctant missionary, I've heard him call, who, wanted to, who did not want to go to Nineveh, but then God worked on his heart, and he did it in an extraordinary way, right? Got swallowed by a fish, and got thrown, out in the, got thrown off a boat first, and got swallowed by a fish, and then got spit out. But when he actually did listen to God and do what God asked him to do, look at the result. The people of Nineveh believed. Why? Was it because Jonah was such a great prophet or speaker? No. Because God had already gone, above, gone before him and prepared Nineveh. Whether they knew it or not, God had gone before him and had prepared him. And when he came and said what he said, the people got it. They believed. And they were there and they got in the sackcloth and they repented, many of them. And that city was going to be saved, which Jonah did not want because those people had done horrible things. And it's these kind of stories, it's this story about redemption that just... I just love because it's just an ordinary person saying yes to God, and he does great things. And as me and Alicia prepare 
for Honduras, it's never been about John and Alicia. It's been about what God's doing in Honduras, and he's going to use us to be a part of it, and we get to be a part of it. And that's an amazing, amazing strength, comfort, and love right there. So one of my, so I wanted to share today one of my favorite redemption stories, and it's not found in the Bible, but it is a story that has God all the way through it, has his, his heart, his handiwork, and his footprints all the way through it. And this story starts uh, with, with a boy who is in a house that ha- is a very split household. Uh, on one side, he has his mom, who is a very God-loving woman, uh, was real big into children's ministry, uh, was head of the women's ministry for a while at their church, and was, that was just, just really had a heart for, heart for Christ. Then he had a dad who just worked all the time and thought his identity came through his job. And he thought that uh, Sundays were meant for watching football. And that's it. And he didn't understand the whole, the whole church thing. He didn't get it. And that's what he called it, the church thing. So this, this boy had to make a decision for many years in his life on Sunday. Do I go with my mom? Oh, I just gave it away. It's me. Um, I was going to try to make it a secret, but I heard it. Um, so I had to make a decision. So I'm going to change my story now. I had a darn notes. Um, so, so I had to make a decision. Was I going to go to church with my mom or was I going to stay home with my dad and watch football? Well, as a young boy, you want to connect with your dad, right? But I knew there was something that my mom was doing and what was going on at that church thing as my dad described it. That made me, I wanted to go. So I kind of made a deal in my head that if I went every other Sunday, I could at least check off like two Sundays a month, right? And God would still be proud of me, right? Because I, hey, two Sundays, that's better than none. And so some Sundays I'd go and I sat in the church and I heard, the, heard all the Bible stories. I heard all the, all the different messages. I also was one of two kids in the youth group that could name every single book of the Bible in order. Everything, which I was really proud of at the time. Don't ask me to do it now. Um, and I, I would, but it meant nothing here. I never connected with my heart. I just went because my mom went. And that's what I did. Then on other Sundays, I'd sit home with my dad and I'd watch football. It'd be a whole weekend thing because my dad was an Alabama fan for college, and he's a Denver Bronco fan, which might surprise some of you um, to learn that uh, on Sundays. He'd be very happy this year. They both won championships. But when I was home with my dad, I just knew something was missing. And I felt like I was missing something, but never enough to make me, you know, decide to not stay home with him. Then when I was 14 years old, at the time in my mind, my world came to a crashing halt when my father killed himself. He went out to the lake and put, put a bolt in his head. And I remember going down to the lake with my mom because my mom just said my dad hadn't been home for a couple days. And I'm sitting there at the dock and all the people that work at this dock that I've gone to a bunch of times with my dad because I went fishing with them all the time were offering me free stuff. And I knew these people. They don't give anything away for free. So I knew something was wrong. And they came to me and they were talking to me and I found out about my father. 
And at that time, this was a time that really changed the path of my life in two dramatic ways. One way right then would have happened, and the other way I have found out later in my life. The first way was that I got very angry at God. I blamed him. I was like, I go to church two out of four Sundays. You're right? Maybe if I would have gone three, he wouldn't have done it. Why did you do this, God? Why do I go listen to how great you are and your great love, and then you take my father? Well, he didn't. My dad made that decision. And God still loved me through that. But that also changed my life, as I know years later, is I have a real heart for youth and that age, because I was about 13 or 14 when that happened. And at that time, I really believe that's an age when kids are going from, I go to church because my parents, this is where I go with my parents, to this is now my personal relationship. And at that time, when I was going through that exchange of why I needed that personal relationship with Christ, I had that huge event that happened to me, and I blamed God, and I didn't, I didn't seek after him at that time. And that, for years, led me down a lot of wrong paths and wrong decisions. I would... Uh, go out and party all the time. And I always tell people, it sounds kind of funny, but I, even when I'd party, I didn't party too much because I knew in the back of my mind something wasn't right about what I was doing, but I didn't stop. Uh, even for a while, I would do the party Saturday night and then go to church and pray on Sunday for forgiveness. And that was my life for years until I was about 20 years old. And when I was 20, everything, again, I felt like was falling apart. I had debt that I couldn't afford to get out of. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, who I thought was the one, but she wasn't, uh, had just, uh, just broke up with me. And again, I thought my world was crashing down. So I had, I sat in my apartment at that time, and I had, what I had was a bunch of pills. I took those pills because I didn't want to live anymore. In my fridge at that time, I had two choices. I had a Coke like the drink, not the drug. Um, and then I had, uh, I had some, I think it was Jack Daniels or something. It was some kind of alcohol. That night I chose the Coke to drink the pills to wash it down. And I found out later on from the doctors when I got, called, got taken to the hospital that if I would have chosen the alcohol, I wouldn't have lived probably. I would have died that day. So I got checked into a rehab center for three days because I did, I took, I tried to overdose on drugs. And uh, so I had to talk. And I remember I was in my room one night. And I was just sitting there, and I was just kind of having myself a little sad party for myself. And I asked myself, why am I still here? And I remember this is the first time I heard this voice. And this is the, me- this is the title of my message for you guys today. I was in that room all by myself just feeling sorry for myself, asking why I was still alive. And Christ, I know at the time now, Christ answered me at that moment. I didn't know at the time. I just kind of didn't realize what it was at the time. But as I'm there asking why, why am I still alive? I heard a voice as clearly as you guys can hear me talking right now. Answer that question with, because I'm not done with you yet. And I turned and I looked around the room and the room was empty. I just kind of thought, okay, maybe that's the drugs playing with my head, right? Because I had just taken a bunch of pills and stuff, so maybe I'm hallucinating. Kind of like if you eat too many tacos in Mexico. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. Um, <laughs> ask Eric about that story. Um, but uh, but uh, 
So I, I remember that day clearly. And so after that moment, I, I knew one of the things that really touched me is when I was in that rehab, I could have visitors. And all the people from the church, my mom's church that I grew up in, came to visit me. And all my friends from partying and all those people I used to hang out with, not a one of them could be found. And that, and that spoke to me. It's like these people who I kind of turned my back on came to see if I was okay. And so for a while, I was like, you know what, maybe there's, there's something to this church thing. And so I started kind of going and kind of mediocre going, still sometimes going out and partying on Saturdays, but then going to church on Sundays. Felt, thought the balance would be good enough, like a scale. And then a few years later, I get moved to St. Louis. Get transferred, uh, get a job up here. I was running, I was manager of a hotels back then, and I got, came up here to help take over two hotels. Um, and it's then when I met my amazing and beautiful and talented and intelligent wife. I think I used all the adjectives, hopefully. Good, gorgeous. Um, met her wife and her family. And there again, my life took another turn. Because I grew up not really having a good father figure um, that I knew of on the earth, here on earth, an earthly father. Then I met uh, Alicia's parents uh, for the first time, which I was really nervous about doing. And everything because I had uh, found out from Alicia beforehand that they were missionaries. And I knew I was kind of faking my whole belief. And so I was really nervous to meet them the first time. But I'll tell you what, um, they, may, they may question that they're here today. They may uh, second guess, and you can ask them after service. I feel like I did a pretty good job. <laughs> I acted the part. I was like, oh, yeah, this and this. And I, I said all the roles, and I said all the church answers, and I felt like I did a good job. Did I mean any of it? Some of it. Some of it I didn't really believe what I said. But I knew if I wanted to date Alicia, I had to. So then as I date, as I date Alicia, we weren't dating very long. I just knew she was the one. So I came time to ask her father for permission, uh, which if you have never done, that's really nerve-wracking. I'd like to say I was really smooth and went in there confident and asked. There was a point where or Dale had to stop me and be like, John, do you have a question? <laughs> like, are you going to ask this? I know what you're here for. Like, so I was like, okay. So I'd like to say I was smooth, but I wasn't. But I remember him saying, okay, I'll let you marry my daughter, but the first thing you got to do is you got to go on a missions trip. Because my daughter is going to be a missionary, and I want her to be married to someone who shares that passion. I said, yes. And in my heart, I was thinking, what? <laughs> do I really like this girl? Um, I do, by the way. Don't. Um, so he, he puts out a pamphlet with all these different countries that they're going to. And I remember looking at it, and I said, well, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go big. So I, I picked China. So I go spend uh, two weeks in China. And the whole time, I'm sitting there like, I really must like this girl. Like, uh, and stuff. So I come back. But while I was in China, God really worked on my heart there. And it's one of those things, you know, like when you're younger and you go to church camp or you go on a missions trip and you, you just feel that fire and you come back and you're like, yes, I'm on fire, you're good. But then there's that time sometimes where that fire goes away. And I came back from that mission trip pumped up. I felt good. But two or three weeks later, it, I, I slipped back into me. And it was the church thing again in my mind. It wasn't a relationship. It wasn't anything but the church thing. 
So I started working, and then came the second, one of the, one of the second or third biggest events of my life where God showed up. As I had done some, made some mistakes while I was going through this time and while I was faking and answering all the questions and playing the part, I, on the other side, had a secret. It was something that I was doing and had done. And I remember they called me in to have a meeting about what was, go- what was going on. And I remember on the way there, Alicia asking me, John, do you know what this meeting's about? And I said, no. And I 100% knew what the meeting was about. I just didn't want to tell her. Because I there, I had my heart had turned hard, even against Christ. I had no faith in him. And I just went there like dead man walking as we headed to that meeting, knowing that I'm going to be yelled at, I'm going to be judged, they're going to tell me how horrible of a person I am, and I'm going to lose everything that was important to me at that time. And I walk into the meeting, and even when I sat down, they asked me, John, was there anything you needed to share? I said, no. Uh, No, I I don't know what you're talking about. And it came out, what I had done, and that they knew. And what amazed me that day was I didn't get met with judgment. I mean, there was anger and the hurt feelings, of course. But what I got met with was grace and forgiveness. And even the person that kind of brought to attention what, what I had done was there and was crying because they didn't want to see anything about Like, their heart was so moved. And that, to me, just moved me. And I remember that at the time, the person that was dealing with me said, I, I could easily, you know, do what I could and throw, throw the book at you and all that stuff, but that's not what you need. You need to understand how much God loves you and understand his grace and his forgiveness. Now, I made, I made amends for what I did. I paid back what I needed to. But there again, I remember going home that day, and, I, and Alicia went to go stay with her parents because... Obviously, there was some stuff going on. And I remember sitting in my house alone and just thinking to myself, why? Why was I not, why was the book not thrown at me? Why was I not judged? Why was I not this? And again, for the second time, I heard that voice. Because I'm not done with you yet. And it was really at that moment that I, it hit me, and I remember the first time I heard that voice. And I remember that it was, I was like, that's, that's, that's Jesus talking to me. Who else could it be that he's not done with me? I've gone through all this stuff, and who else wouldn't be done with me? The world's done with me. People would judge me. Alicia could have left me. I could have lost everything. But God was there saying, I'm not done with you yet. As we go along, as I went through a few more years past, me and my wife uh, actually during that time lost our second son at birth. And I remember at that time just never feeling angry at God or upset, but just feeling a peace of knowing that my son was with the one person who can love him more than me. I remember the feeling of how much that had changed and how, remember that line that I'm not done with you yet, that God was going to take that tough moment and make it into something beautiful for his glory. And that carried me and my wife through. And as a few more years passed, now we're kind of coming up to more present day. 
four years ago, me and my wife had decided to find, come out and find a new church. We just felt like we needed to find something out here in this area, closer to our home. Uh, there was some, some hurt and pain from our last church. And I remember we went to a, another church, and we went there for a couple Sundays, and then I saw, uh, saw the sign, which, by the way, signs work. Um, but uh, saw a sign for, for LifePoint. I remember going home, and I Googled LifePoint and looked it up, and I found the About page, and I read about Eric and Stephanie and how they were teachers, and they just you know, gave up uh, teaching. And, uh, they, of course, Stephanie still homeschools her kids, so she's still a teacher, right? So, um, and all that stuff, and they gave it up because they wanted to share the gospel. They wanted, so I was like, this sounds, this sounds like us. I'm a teacher, or I was a pair at the time. Uh, about to be a teacher, and I was like, that sounds like us. So I said, let's go try this place out. I remember walking into LifePoint that very first Sunday, and in my heart, I had experienced a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, and I remember going in, and as I went in, walked into the church, I said, if it doesn't go well, I'm done. This is, if, if this church is not it, I'm done with church for a while. I need to take a break. I've been hurt my last two church experiences. Uh, some of it was my own doing and stuff like that, but I'd been hurt. And I remember walking in and just being hugged 800 times, <laughs> which if you know me at all, I am not a hugger. <laughs> I have become one. Um, and, stuff. and I just remember uh, Bill and Linda were sitting by us, and Alicia was pregnant, about ready to, about ready to pop. I don't know if that's appropriate to say or not. I know there's a preg some pregnant women here. Sorry if that's offensive. Um, but she was about ready to have that baby. And we kind of shared our story of what happened with our second son and kind of some of our fears and concerns. And I remember Bill and Linda just stepped right there and just prayed with us and loved us. They didn't know who we were. They had never met us before. And I remember leaving church that day and looking at Alicia in the car and she said something about, like, do we want to come back here next week? You know, because we were going to do, like, a two-week thing. Uh, try out church. I said, no, we don't need to try out any more churches. We found our church. And I know now, even more today, I'm going to try to get through this without crying. I know now, even more today, that life point is exactly where God wanted us. And the way that me and my wife's lives have changed since coming here to life point. I can clearly and easily say today, because of the honesty, the truth that is spoken here about the gospel and about the, what the Bible says, my heart has been completely changed. And the reason why I feel like God did this is because he's not done with us yet. And he's not done with you guys yet either, all of you here today. We're all here. God has you here for a reason. And I know that me and Alicia are getting ready to go to Honduras. And we both are teachers, and we're going to get to start a special needs program down there, which is really exciting to us, and get to minister to people and other people. That's not the end of our story. It's the beginning of our next journey. And God's not done with us yet. Just like he's not done with you guys yet. As I think about what does that look like, what does the Bible say about God being done with us yet or what God wants for our life? I found verses in Jeremiah. If you guys could put those up. 
It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord was, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and he was there working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was uh, spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. I had the experience, and when I read this uh, verse and was talking about it uh, with the, my FCA Bible study students, I remember this verse because I, about six years ago, I was a paraprofessional, and I had to go to a ceramics class. Um, I know nothing about ceramics. Um, and so I got there, and they had those, I don't even know what they call them, wheels that spin, I don't even know what they call them. And stuff, and uh, they had those, and I remember watching it and working it, and, with, and some people that could just take this mound of clay, this, this blob of clay, and turn it into something beautiful. And I just love the imagery that this verse shares with us of what Christ is doing in us. Is that he has taken us, this glob of clay, and he has put us on that wheel, and as it's spinning, and that, that, that wheel is like our world. It's spinning. It's going to try to spin us around. We're going to have things that come up. He's there, and he's forming us. And he's shaping us into something beautiful. And the great thing is, right now, he's still working on that today. He's not done with you yet. And sometimes, as I learned uh, with actual experience, if you turn that wheel on, uh, again, I don't know the official name, um, if you turn that wheel on and have the clay on there and you don't have your hands on it, that clay goes everywhere. Um, I know that because I had a student turn on the wheel without his hand on the clay, and it went everywhere. Uh, so I know what I'm talking about. Um, not just trying to do that for imagery. That's true. Um, so it went everywhere. And that's exactly what we, I thought about last week when Eric was talking about that. What's that thing that's in our hand that we're holding on to that we want? Like, God, if you give me this. If we don't let God be the center of our heart and be the focus of our heart, minds, and everything, the world's going to spin us around. And we're just going to go every which way. We're going to look into other things to try to fill that void that we have. Sometimes when people are doing pottery and they're working with pottery, they work with their hand. And sometimes there may be a side that gets a little uneven. It's a little bit of a lump. There's a bump. Sometimes the thing might get chipped. It might break off a little bit. And that's going to happen in our lives. Things are going to come up, guys. Maybe that chip is the loss of your father. <clears throat> Maybe that chip is not being able to have a child. Maybe that little bump in the road is the loss of another loved one, or it doesn't matter, loss of a job. And some people will look at that, look at that pot that has that chip or that little bump in it, that imperfection, and they'll be like, look at that. But Christ, who is our potter, who's working in us, he looks at the pot and says, I can make that beautiful. I'm not done with it yet. And I, uh, and as the, if the worship team wants to come on up, as I close today, I want to ask you the question. What is that bump? Maybe what's that chip 
either in your thing or in your shoulder? What is that thing that you're holding on to? Or what is that thing that's keeping you from allowing yourself just to be a work in Christ's hands? What do we need to let go of today? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it sadness? Just know that Christ is not done with you yet. If you guys could quickly, uh, the Philippians verse, I think you guys have that one. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's not done with you guys. Four or five years ago, if you would have told me I was going to go get to go to Honduras and do this, I would have been like, what? No, that's not me. But here I am. Why? Because God wasn't done with me yet. God brought me to life point. God sent me on a missions trip to Pueblo, Mexico to change my life. Where he gave me a vision of what me and Alicia should be doing. Gave Alicia kind of the same vision at that same trip. But I had to let go. I had to surrender. I was in my bed one night in Pueblo crying about like, oh, I didn't get to speak. Why am I even here? Poor me, having a pity party. And God said, who are you here for? You here for John or for me? And it broke me. And ever since, God has just been opening paths, opening doors for me and my wife. I had to surrender. I had to get rid of that trying to prove myself. I had to get rid of that chip, that imperfection, so that he can make me into something beautiful. And right here it says in the Bible he's going to do that for all who believe. So as I finish up today, I just want to pray for you guys. But I want you guys to leave here knowing, no matter where you are right now, no matter where God has you, if you're in between jobs, in between boyfriends, girlfriends, in between living here and living in Honduras, that's a little specific, that last one. Um, Wherever you are, whatever stage you're at in life, God's not done with you yet. doesn't matter how, if you're 80 or 8, he's not done with you yet. He's got a beautiful plan for you. And all we got to do is just raise up our hands and say, I surrender, God. I surrender it all to you. And let him form us and shape us. See, I don't even know how to do the hands. All that stuff, but let him form us and shape us in the beautiful thing he created us to be. All right, let me pray for you guys. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for all the people who are here, God, and just the blessings that they have been in my and Alicia's life. I'm just so grateful uh, for your, for your message that you put on my heart today, God. And I just pray that as we go out today, God, that, that people will just remember that this is not the end of the story. It's not really even for some the beginning of the story, but it's right there in the middle. But you're not done yet. And there's great and mighty plans for people here, God, for different ministries, maybe some future min- missionaries, people getting ready to go on their first trip to Puebla. God, work on the hearts of these people. Let them get rid of that thing that they're holding on to, that chip or that imperfection that's keeping them from just surrendering all to you because they feel like maybe they're not worthy. Because, God, you love them, and as it says, you will do a great, you will finish a great work in them, and it'll be something beautiful. And I just pray for this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. 
LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.